You're continuing a series in the book of Ephesians. It's page 977 in the Red Bible, if that's the Bible that you have. Uh, we're continuing series in Ephesians, but we're also in the middle of a mini-series, a sub-series within Ephesians, a series on prayer. Uh, Paul spends these verses at the end of chapter 3 to pray for the Christians, to pray for Ephesians. And you may remember last week we looked at the foundation of Paul's prayer. What were the reasons that Paul prayed? Why would we pray to God? And we saw some truths that develop a passion for prayer in us. One of the things that we saw is that God is big, that we pray to a God who can carry us through the difficult times in life. The second reason is because we are small. Uh, So much in our culture, we make God small and us big. But the reality is, is that God is enormous and that we are small and that we need God daily. And we are reminded by that through tragedy, through the awesomeness of creation. But we are small. We also saw that God is a dad who loves his children. And so we need not be afraid to go to dad, to talk to dad, to ask dad for the things that we want and need. And finally, we saw that God has no budget. God has all the riches of heaven accessible to him to answer our prayers. And so we can go to God and ask anything. And we know that the way God answers our prayer is not because he only has a ration to give to you, but it's because he loves you and he cares for you as a dad. And he gives to you always in accordance with his love. And so we can go to God confidently in prayer. That is the foundation for prayer. This week, and actually next, I thought I was going to do it in one week, but there's just too much here. We're going to look at the content of Paul's prayer. So last week we looked at the foundation of prayer. This week and next, we'll look at the content of Paul's prayer. How should we be praying, especially for one another? And then finally, we will look at the goal of Paul's prayer. And so that's where we are. That's where we're headed. When I, was, uh, when I was growing up, I was very fortunate to be in a home where we could afford to have my mom stay at home. My dad worked. He was the breadwinner. Um, and we were uh, able to afford my mom being a stay-at-home mom. And it was a tremendous blessing. And there were several magical things that happened because my mom was a stay-at-home mom that later, that at that time, I didn't realize how they happened. For example, we have had a refrigerator like most families, right? And as a teenager, I would frequent that refrigerator. And I would go in there and I would take food out and I would eat it. But here was the magical part. The refrigerator never went empty. Somehow, food would always reappear in the refrigerator. I didn't know how. You know, it also happened with like the dishes after dinner. You know, we would take the dishes up to the sink. We would put it next to the counter And then the next day, they would appear clean in the cupboard, somehow, magically. Um, Even, you know, with my laundry, I would throw my dirty clothes in this basket, and then a few days later, they would reappear clean, hung in my closet, or folded and put into my drawers. It was magic. Now, all the magic left when I went to college. (laughs) All the magic was gone. I learned how to do dishes, not just for myself, but a fraternity house of 70 guys. I still remember taking my laundry uh, to the the place where we do laundry, laundromat, and um, calling my mom saying, how do you do this? Like, how does this work? 
And, and I just remember her saying, do not mix colors and whites in hot water. That's all you need to know. So it's okay. But there was a major transition in my life when I went off to college, a transition into adulthood, a good transition, a difficult transition, but a necessary and wonderful transition. Where we are in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a major transition in this letter, and it's a major transition in our life. You see, Paul spends the first part of Ephesians telling them about the life they have in Jesus Christ, reminding them of the good news of Christ, reminding them of the gospel, that by our sin we are dead, we are cut off from God, objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God sent Christ to die for us, to restore us to God. And now, because of God's work, there is a restoration between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul is telling this good news in the first two and a half chapters of Ephesians. And I can imagine the Ephesians reading this saying, yes, that is great, that is good, that is awesome, I like that, that is fantastic. But what Paul will spend the next three chapters on is not so much our life in Christ, although he will deal with that. He will talk about bringing Jesus Christ into every area of our life. Right after this prayer in Ephesians 4, 1, and you can look with me if you want, Paul will actually say, and it shows a transition, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he's going to spend the rest of his letter urging them to walk in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to be doing. And so Paul takes time in the middle, in this transition, to pray for what he's about to call them to do. Some of the things, just to give you a preview, is he will tell them that they need to patiently love people in the church that are difficult, that are annoying, that are sinful. He's going to call them to put on the likeness of God, to put away bitterness and drunkenness and greediness and selfishness and laziness and sexual impurity. He's going to call us to love our spouses and love our children sacrificially. He's going to call us to obey our bosses as if they were God themselves. And then finally, we're going to see he's actually going to call us to wage war against Satan. And these are amazing callings, walking in accord with what he has called us to do, urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so because he calls us to do these things that are not just if difficult, but impossible, Paul takes a moment in this transition to pray for us, to pray for the Ephesians, to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're going to read today. So let's look. Ephesians chapter 3, again, it's page 977 in the Red Bible. We're going to read verses 14 through 19, um, but we're, we're really going to focus on uh, the, the second half of verse 16 and the first half of 17 today. So Ephesians three fourteen through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. God, we know you have called us to mature in our faith, to grow into Christianhood, much like we grow into adulthood. And we fail often, God. And we confess that we need your strength. We need you to work in our hearts and in our lives. Even this morning, God, we can recognize areas in our heart where we have failed you, whether it be impatience with our family, um, a lack of desire to come and worship you, whatever it might be, God. And so, Lord, we need your strength, and we pray that through your word, your Holy Spirit would work and give us the power to live a life more surrendered to you. We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul is praying that the power of God would come into the Ephesians to live a life worthy of the gospel. And so let's look and see what Paul has to say. And like I said, we're just going to spend the second half of verse 16 and the first half of 17. That's what we're going to look at today. So look in verse 16 with me, and let's see how Paul prays. He says, he's praying that according to the riches of his glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power. He's praying that we would be strengthened with power. Now, the the necessary question to ask is, why would Paul pray that we would be strengthened with power? What would be the purpose of him praying that? And the reason is, is because the Bible says in our flesh, in our natural sinful cravings, we are weak. The flesh is very, very weak. Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew 26 when he's talking to the disciples. When he goes to pray, he says to them, he says, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is so weak. When the Bible talks about flesh, it's not just talking about the meat that's on your bones. It's talking about the seat of your emotions, the deep down core of why you do the things you do. What is it that motivates you to do the things that you do? That is where he prays that we would be affected by the power of God, but that we in ourselves, in our flesh, are very, very weak. And we turn away from God often. And we are born with these sinful cravings. Parents know this. If you've had children, you know that your kids are born with these sinful cravings. I mean, nobody has ever taught my kids, certainly not Trish and I, have ever taught our kids to scale the cupboard, cupboards like Mount Everest and go grab candy out and steal it when they know they're not supposed to have it. Trish and I have never taught, taught our kids to bite each other or to spin on each other, right? I hope you have not taught your kids how to do that. If you have... There's marriage counseling available. I can give you the information. But you don't teach your kids how to do that. You don't teach them how to say, mine. You don't teach them how to say, no. Because it is their flesh from birth to rebel against God, to rebel against every authority. Now, you may think, I have grown out of that. I have grown past that. I'm now a mature adult. I don't struggle with the flesh anymore. Last week, if you were here, We talked about prayer. We started talking about prayer. We talked about 
the foundation of prayer. And we were encouraged by the Word of God to go and pray boldly this week. How did that go? How did that go? I hope it went better, but my assumption is that, like me, it was not what it could be. And why is that? It's because our flesh is weak. We walk out, we forget the good things that God is doing. Our flesh is weak. And so Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power. And that's why Paul transitions from sharing about our life in Christ and urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He prays for power and for strength. And he says that that strengthening comes through the Holy Spirit. You see, while righteousness is unnatural to us, while it's something that is foreign to us, it is very natural to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. It is the third person of the Trinity. And so Paul prays here. He says that he prays that we would be strengthened with power, not by ourselves, but through his spirit, through God's spirit, through the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we not only have access to the Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us and direct us, but according to Paul, we also have access to the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the way that God calls us to live. We don't have to do it on our own. This is such good news. God not only gives us the direction, he gives us the power to live it out. And then you see here where he prays that Holy Spirit would give power. He says it is in the inner man, that his spirit would be in your inner being. Again, the inner man is kind of like that flesh. It is the heart of your emotions. The reason why you do what you do, it is the seat of your motivations, the primary point, the genesis where you make all decisions. And Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will work powerfully in that part to change your heart, that you could live for God. And so that's how Paul prays for them. This past weekend, or past few days, Trish and I and the kids went over to Eau Claire to be with her family, and it was Corbin's fifth birthday party, and the, the, the adults were standing around, and we were lamenting. We were lamenting over gas prices and how high they are and how quickly they have grown and how depressing it is. And, um, and so anyway, so I've been looking around on the Internet for a more fuel-efficient car, but one of the things I saw was... Uh, what, what is called, it's kind of a new buzz, water fuel cars. And these cars are powered by water, evidently. And so there's even a link where you can go watch it on YouTube. There's websites, there's, there's newspapers that have talked about, magazines. I mean, that's something that's pretty cool, right? And it's supposed to increase, you know, your, your, your productivity or your power. Uh, it's supposed to save you 15 to 300 percent uh, of your money. And so there's great excitement about this, but there's one problem, one problem that really all the credible sources say that this water fuel car has. And that one problem is that it's a fraud, (laughs) is that it doesn't really exist. I know, dang, wouldn't that be nice? Just put a big funnel on your trunk and run into the gas. That would be awesome. But it's a fraud. It It can't happen. Because, as they said, it it violates the first and second law of thermodynamics. And, of course, we all know what those are, right? But it's just impossible. It can't happen. Matter of fact, you can take water and make it into energy, make it into power. But the problem is, is it actually takes more gas to turn that into energy than it would to fuel your car. And so it just doesn't work. Now, here's the thing. 
When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are given a power source. You are given fuel. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the power of God in you to live the life that God has called you to live. But so many times we go to a fraudulent power source, don't we? So many times we go to our flesh. We try to work really hard to be good for God on our own. And God says, I have given you the Holy Spirit, not only to guide you and to direct you, but to empower you. And so that is an awesome promise that he gives to us. I love how Paul puts this. He summarizes it in Galatians 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. That is the command. Walk by the Spirit. Be guided by the Spirit. Be directed by the Spirit. Be powered by the Spirit. And then here's the promise that comes after it. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. The Holy Spirit is necessary for all of our life. We need God to strengthen us through the Holy Spirit every day. There's nothing we can do for God apart from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in their inner man. Paul goes on to pray for them in a prayer that is very similar, but not identical. He prays not only for the powering of God, but also the indwelling of God. Verse 17, he puts it this way. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this term dwell is used other places in the New Testament. It's helpful in us understanding what it means for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Uh, One place it is used when it is talking about Jesus. Jesus dwelling in Nazareth. That is the city that he lived in. It's actually used frequently to talk about people who live or dwell in a certain city. And so it's where they work, it's where they live, it's where they play, it's where they live life. It's also used talking about how evil spirits will indwell certain human beings, which is not good, but they dwell in there. They make it their home. It's also used to talk about God's dwelling in the temple. This is where God had resided. And so Paul here says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, just to clarify, and I'll I'll try not to get too confusing here. Paul is not praying that those who are already Christians would now dwell Christ. He's not saying that some Christians have Christ in them and some do not. And he's praying that they would now receive Christ in their heart. Christ is in the hearts of all believers, of all who trust in Jesus Christ. It's actually uh, said to us in Colossians 1.27. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And this is what it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Christ dwells in all who trust in Christ. And so what is Paul praying for here in Ephesians when he's praying that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. He's praying that Christ may grow in their hearts, that the degree of Christ would expand in their hearts, that he would have more dominion over your hearts, that Christ would dwell. That's what Paul is praying, that he would dwell wide and deep in our hearts. As many of you probably know, Trish and I actually heat our house with wood. We have a wood-burning stove on the first floor of our house, and, uh, and so we, we throw wood in there, and it heats the house as it's supposed to. But at night, sometimes we don't feed the fire. Sometimes we just kind of let it go down to ashes and coals. And when that happens, the house gets really cold. And so we'll go downstairs, and we'll open it up, and we'll stir up 
the ashes and we'll throw paper in there and we'll throw some kindling in there. And as that starts on fire, we'll throw more wood in there and we'll load the thing up so it gets blazing hot. And then once it is hot, we will turn on a fan and we'll start blowing the heat out. And it will start blowing into our living room where it is. But we also have certain barriers up to guide and direct the heat. And so we have a blanket that we put up so that the heat doesn't go up our stairs. And so it goes into our living room and then into our dining room and then into our kitchen and into our sunroom. And it keeps it nice and warm. And then when it's time for naps or time for bed, we'll take down that blanket. And the heat will go upstairs and we will close doors like our guest bedroom and our bedroom and the restroom so that it doesn't go in there. But we'll open up the doors for the kids so that the heat can go into those rooms. That's what Paul is praying for here. Our, our heart is like a house with many, many rooms. And some of those rooms have been closed off to Christ. Some of those rooms have been closed off to the Lordship of Christ. And so there are certain doors that we would open gladly to Christ. For example, all of you are here, and so you probably say, God, I will give you my Sunday mornings. You can have that. You can enter. You can have my Sunday mornings. But the door that leads to my Friday nights, it's not opening. (laughs) You can't have that. You can't come into that. You can't dwell in that room. You can have my Sunday morning, but my money, you can't touch that. I need it too bad. You can have my Sunday mornings, but you can't have my marriage or my dating relationship or my business or my fill-in-the-blank. There are certain rooms in your house and your heart that are sealed so shut they have been closed for decades, whether it be reconciling with your mother or your father or a friend that have just been sealed shut And what Paul is praying here is that those doors would be opened and the warmth of Christ's love would come into every area of your heart. Now, this is extremely scary for me. Maybe it is for you, but it's scary for me to open those doors and let Christ have control, to bring Christ into every part of my life. And so how do we do that? Paul says here, very simply, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your heart, how? Through faith. The same faith that saves us is the same faith that transforms us. Faith is an instrumental part to the Christian life. Faith is instrumental to growing in the power of God. My, uh, uh, my favorite illustration of faith is from Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. And I think of this often whenever I think of faith. Maybe you have seen it. But in that movie, Indiana Jones is traveling around with his father, and they go to find the cup of the Last Supper that Jesus used. And so they're following all these maps and all these things, and they finally get to the cave where it is, and the bad guys come along. I think it's Nazis, I'm not sure. But the bad guys come along, and they shoot Indiana Jones' dad. And they say, all right, now you have to go get the cup for us because the cup will, will give him life. It will heal his wounds. And so Indy is reading all his clues from from whenever they were left, and he walks through this maze. And then he gets to the final barrier. And there's this great chasm between him and the cave that has the cup. And so he's, he's thinking through his clues what he's supposed to do. And a verse from the Bible comes to his mind, and he, it says, the righteous shall walk by faith. And he's sitting there going, the righteous shall walk by faith. And so here he is. He's looking down into this bottomless pit. He needs to cross it to save his dad to get the cup. 
And he says, the righteous shall walk by faith. And then he, he, he takes a step and he leans forward over the chasm. And he falls onto a plank, a solid plank that was camouflaged so that you couldn't see it was there. That's what faith is. God says, step out and trust me. Trust me with your salvation. Trust me that I have sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die for your sins. Place your trust in him. Take that step of faith. But for the Christian, he says, trust me with that room. Trust me with the areas of your heart that you have sealed shut, that you think you cannot open to me. Open them. Let the warmth of my love penetrate it. Let me transform it. Come into every area of your heart. Let Christ have dominion over every area of your life. We live a life of faith. And so Paul prays that Christ would dwell in their heart through faith. Let me end with this. We spend a a lot of time on the outer man, don't we? Um, Some of you probably spent more time on the outer man this morning than others, uh, putting on makeup, combing your hair, whatever it might be, picking out your clothes, getting dressed. By the way, side note, one of the things I hate most about my job is picking out clothes for Sunday morning. My wife knows this. I absolutely hate it. But we all spend time on the outer man. I'm actually training for a half marathon to try to get skinnier, to lose weight, to be healthier. We spend lots of time on the outer man. We actually pray for the outer man quite a bit. We pray for safe travel. We pray for physical healing, whether it be flu to cancer. We pray for the outer man, and it's right and it's good. The question is, are we balanced? Do we focus on the inner man as much as we focus on the outer man? Do we pray for the inner man like we pray for the outer man? Because that's what Paul is challenging us to here today, to have a balanced understanding of who we are as people, to pray for the inner man in your life, in the lives of your kids, in the lives of your spouse, in the life of your parents, in the lives of those you love. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Paul says this, He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It is obvious that we are wasting away. At least it was was obvious on the men's retreat. Um, We all decided to play broom ball, all right? And so we get out there and we're diving and we're, you know, we're running and we're checking each other. Uh, Those who have already outwardly wasted away too much, we're sitting on the sidelines, right? But so we're doing this, and then the next day's church, we come home next day's church, and I stand out there in the front, and I see people coming around the corner, walking down the hall, and it's, it's like the guys are Frankenstein. I mean, they're walking like this. And they're saying, there are parts of my body that I never knew existed that hurt, that are sore. And then all the high school kids are like, nothing hurts, you know. Because outwardly, we are wasting away. It will happen. All of us will waste away. All of us will die. And so when we pray for the outer man, which is right and good, but all that we're praying is that we would not waste away so quickly, right? That's what we're praying for. We're praying. We're not praying that it would stop because we will waste away, but we're praying that it would slow down. But when you pray for the inward man, here's something so cool. When you pray for the inward man, you're praying for something that God has promised to grow. God has promised to renew the inner man day 
by day. And so when you pray for the inner man, unlike the outer man, when you pray for the inner man, you're praying for it to accelerate, for it to speed up, that God would flourish in your heart, that in the inner man, the Holy Spirit through power would make Christ dwell more richly, more pervasively for his glory. And so I would encourage you this week, as we're looking at this passage, to just look over it and pray it. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your family. Pray it for your friends. Pray it for your pastor. I would love that. We all need strength. Because here's the deal. All of us are going to leave here in about 20 minutes. And all of us will face a thousand choices between now and next Sunday. Some of them will have to do with our outer man. All of them will have to do with our inner man. And we need the strength of God to make those decisions wisely. We need the strength of God to make those decisions for the glory of God. And so pray for that. Let's pray for it right now. God, we do come to you again confessing that we are weak in our flesh, that we need your power in us. Thank you that you have given it to us through the Holy Spirit, not only to guide us and direct us, but you've given your Holy Spirit to empower us. Lord, we need your power even to open those doors in our heart where we have kept you out. The areas in our life where we have said, God, I will not surrender that to you. I will disobey you and I will keep it to myself. God, pray that you would work mightily in us. Help us to do that for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.